Hi, I'm Steve Cross. Welcome to a special two-part edition of Clever People Doing Things. We've got two shorter interviews this week interspersed with some royalty-free music. So if we get to the end of the first interview and you think that was very short, what's happened to the rest of this episode? Don't worry, it's coming along any second. Right now, I'm sitting underground in Chandler House in a perfect soundproofed Faraday cage surrounded by laboratories that are used to work out how the human mind understands sound. I've got another really interesting researcher with me today uh, who's going to talk a bit about her research and talk a bit about how she takes her research outside of academia and outside of universities and makes it relevant to the world. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi. I'm Asma Parvin Mishu. I'm second year PhD student in the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health. Particularly, my field is in dental public health. And my topic of research is how dental caries is associated with height and weight of children, particularly the growth of children. Um, can I ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about, so you talked about dental caries. Is that is that tooth decay? Is that a bunch of other things? Yeah, particularly dental caries here is the tooth decay that is the decaying of the outer heart structure of the tooth uh, particularly for the children it goes very faster if the decay remains untreated it further improves into the inner side of the tooth and when it goes into the inside of the tooth called the dental pulp which uh, contain the nerve and vessel it causes dental pain and mm -hmm. other poor consequences. Is your research looking at the fact that if, if children's teeth do get very badly affected, they then don't grow properly because of the pain and infection? Is, is that the kind of thing you're looking at? Uh, actually, yeah, is my one of my research questions. So how is associated with the growth of the children, particularly in the developing countries where I'm running the study, like in Bangladesh, uh, the dental health access is not that much uh, common to the community. So when the decay remains untreated, when it causes pain, it have impact on their eating, yeah. like they cannot chew the hard food, so uh. it causes causes shifting their uh, dietary choice from solid to semi-solid right. maybe and reduce the caloric intake, particularly achieving the goal for the fruit and vegetable intake. Ultimately, it may have impact. It's the one way that's eating disturbance. Yeah. Other way is sleeping disturbance. Dental pain is one of the important cause of sleep disturbance yeah. in the children. And when the sleep is interrupted, particularly the slow wave sleep, in which phase we think it, it causes the maximum level of growth hormone secretion in right. the child. So if it's hampered, then it may in turn hamper oh, okay. so the children. growth of children. Yeah. Children are growing while they sleep. And if they're in pain, they can't sleep, so they can't grow. Yeah, properly. yeah, yeah. One hypothesis, yeah. Fascinating, maybe, yeah. fascinating. And so you said you work in Bangladesh. Are you are you working in other countries as well, or are you focused on Bangladesh at the moment? Uh, particularly through my PhD at this three years time frame. So I'm testing my hypothesis and uh, questionnaire to the Bangladeshi yeah. population. And maybe in future, I can do this type of experiment other side but right now in my PhD I'm testing the questionnaires in Bangladeshi population and uh, so the population that you're studying if, if our listeners are from the UK and they they have a, a fairly normal Western diet how different is the kinds of things that the population that you're studying eating particularly 
the diet is little bit varied from this type of western diet yeah. to the bangladeshi diet so what i i have done in my questionnaire for the eating disturbance scale i have made a scale that contains the commonly eaten food in bangladesh like handmade bread mm. like we called it roti yeah. and rice and uh, curries and the way they take vegetable so i have made the questionnaire that will be particularly focused on that type of diet yeah. how much it causes they're eating disturbance right. chewing difficulty what you haven't got is children uh, drinking coke and eating mars bars all the time mm-hmm. yeah. when i was growing up in this country that was always what we were told causes tooth decay mm-hmm. the other thing i wanted to ask you about was i know that you've been doing some really interesting work to try and take out this story that you're you're slowly piecing together about the role of, of tooth pain and tooth decay and growth and the importance of tooth care Mm -hmm. not just for the sake of the teeth but for the sake of the whole body and you've been taking that outside of the university and and can you tell us a bit about the project that you did to share this work with other people yeah actually it was very interesting uh, project that i did with uh, my pilot study i did my pilot study in january 2015 this year and one part of my pilot study was not particularly about the questionnaire it was about the public engagement particularly with the school children because my sample is five to nine year old primary school children so apart from just data collection i have uh, make a meeting with the parents of the children and try to make a engagement event with them that was like a group discussion and two-way conversation type of thing and what I did, I have uh, told them about just a short discussion about how this uh, dental caries can affect their child growth and what's their view. And what was most important thing is that I shared them with the knowledge about the healthy eating, because particularly now, the parents are not that much aware about the sugary food that can cause tooth decay. And we have one session was about sharing our idea of what we call healthy food, healthy choice, like eating lots of fruits and vegetables yeah. instead of sugary stuffs. And also one part was uh, to how to examine their child's mouth because oh, okay. just for examine your child's mouth, you don't need to go to a dentist. No. If you have uh, a, just a dental mirror, uh, we distributed this dental mirror to all the children, teach the mother how to do the examination and oh. what are the early signs of dental case. Like if you see a black spot or small hole, that is the indication that, yeah, this tooth has something wrong and it needs to be treated. And the parental response was very prompt and some fathers was also there, though I focused, I wanted to focus only on mother, but yeah. some fathers were also there and they are also very much interested to see the condition of their child's mouth and this two-way conversation was really helpful. What was the children's attitude because I remember when I was a child I was always quite excited about the idea of being taller Mm -hmm. and that you know if if you'd shown me a dental mirror and said if you look after your teeth you'll grow taller I probably would have put a lot more work into Mm. brushing my teeth than I did when it was just about tooth decay. So so how did the children react? I mean what 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 did they take away from the the stuff that you showed? Uh, well, at the first impression, they were not that much interested about this type of thing was going on, which was apart from their daily routine class work. So what I did, I made some interesting slides uh, with cartoon that are showing that a child is growing for smaller to larger, this type of graph type of thing. So when I was talking them with about this thing that is not a 
part of your body that's outside from anything, it can have impact on overall your growth and well-being. Then they become, yeah, interested. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to do and to think. So can you tell us uh, what are you going to be doing next? Uh, well, I'm in the actually middle part of my PhD. Uh, next week, I have my upgradation that is upgradation from MPhil to PhD level. And after that, I need to go back to Bangladesh for the main data collection that will be on like 700 children. So what I'm planning to do, obviously, I need to go through all my uh, preformed questionnaire to get the data for my PhD thesis and also try to do this type of engaging thing with yeah. them, which may uh, progress my project further. What was interesting thing that uh, some of my survey team, some of the young dentists, they were also interested for this type of things. So this time what I will try to do, just give them a introductory idea about this type of public engagement, yeah. even what they can do. So. Even I'll be here, but they can run this type of activity to their nearby schools, I think. Right at the beginning, I did promise hardcore royalty-free music fans a treat. So now here we go, and then we'll be straight back with our second interview. I don't even know where we are, this might be a lunchroom, um, but we're back in Chandler House, which is UCL's Psychology and Language Sciences building. We're looking out onto a beautiful courtyard, we're trapped between huge sheets of glass, and I'm here with another person who has been doing interesting stuff. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? So I'm Sarah Hillman, and I'm a clinical doctor and researcher. Amazing, so my first question when someone says they're a, kind, a clinical doctor, what kind of clinical doctor are you? So I am an obstetrician and gynaecologist. I spent uh, the last four years doing a PhD, um, but then the last 18 months I've just been back combining both research and clinical training. You're the first medical doctor we've talked to who's doing a PhD as well, so you'll be a, a double doctor eventually. I don't know if the two cancel out or whether they kind of build on each other. Um, so, so what was the research that you did and, and how does it fit into being a medic as well? So the main focus of my PhD was actually looking at kind of pregnancy disorders um, and certain pregnancy problems. So I first looked at um, babies that weren't growing very well in the womb and then I came on to looking at other sort of rare diseases in pregnancy um, and one of those was this acute fatty liver of pregnancy. What a beautiful segue, thank you very much indeed. So because the, the second thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, so we've got an idea of, of the research that you do now, you, uh, you did a, a public project to take your research out, you know, outside the hospital, outside the university. I was wondering if you could tell us about what it was that you did. Um, so this particular problem, acute fatty liver, is very rare. So one of the things we wanted to do was engage the population, really, to try and um, find other sort of families that might have been affected, not necessarily in the hospital I was working at. Uh, and also, we don't know very much about it. So we wanted to get an idea of what um, people have been affected by it what their focus was um, in terms of research priorities uh, and also to ask some interesting questions so, so we could get some actual personal sort of stories um, and experiences to kind of guide what we were doing. Okay so you you met the patients and you you so did you say you you collected their stories about what it was like to be affected by this and then what did you what did you do with the stories? So this was done on a very informal basis through kind of um, networking sites and patient groups um, where we first contacted um, families or they contacted us and then um, what we wanted to do was kind of have um, engagement days where actually we could bring the families together and um, it was more about the 
them sharing their stories with each other as much as it was for us. Um, but what we also were able to do was collect kind of um, information about uh, and give information about ongoing studies we were thinking about doing. Um, so we kind of had a, a, a resource of, of patients that might want to come back for, for research. So has this turned into a, a community that's still going? You, you met a lot of new people who are affected by this and they met a whole load of new clinicians and you both talked and you both listened. I mean, are you still talking? Are you still listening? Yeah, I mean, actually the patients were very much a driving force originally there was already support groups out there um, but what we were able to do was um, bring together individuals from different parts of the country <clears throat> who didn't necessarily uh, have information before about about support groups and we're still very much engaged with those particular patient champions of those groups uh, and certainly some of the families are now come forward and are, are taking part in research that we're doing. It wasn't just a thing that you did short term and it's all finished and now we know what we need to know it's the beginning of something a lot bigger and it's going to go for a lot longer. Yeah absolutely we know very little still but um, but we're definitely on the right track now but what's really key is that um, that we're having whole families engaged so this particular problem means you have to look at mothers fathers and their children um, so it's it's really kind of taking that forward uh, on an ongoing basis so having having you know done your project having built this whole community what are you doing now I've actually just been appointed as a clinical lecturer at UCL where hopefully I will be taking forward some of these research ideas uh, and hope to engage with the public engagement unit again um, to do one of my new studies, actually. Amazing. And just because it's a thing listeners won't know, so if you're, presumably you're employed by a hospital and then you've got a job at a university as well, how does how does that work in terms of your time and who's your boss and things like that? So uh, this makes it easier. Uh, I get 50-50 time with research and academic time now. Uh, so I can really build on my um, kind of uh, research portfolio, hopefully, and complete my clinical training and then become a, a consultant in Obst and Gynae. On a purely fundamental level, does it mean you get two different patients checks every month and have two different bosses yes but I have done so for the last few years so um, I'm, I'm used to the uh, complexity of, uh, of that particular system it, it's a uh, it's an interesting lifestyle I wouldn't change it but uh, it's quite challenging at times so this has been another clever people doing things uh, we've been quite medical this week we've had two stories about um, public engagement with medicine which is always, always very exciting medicine very close to my heart very close to all the bits of me that I have to take pills for uh, I'm just going to ask our guest now to say goodbye to you bye goodbye from me listeners I've been Steve Cross bye